Are you hungry for new tools, techniques, and information to help you with a better life? I know I am. And like you, that's what drives me to look up podcasts, read books, check out blogs, watch YouTube videos. I have a thirst for knowledge that that I think you also share. Today, today I want to share with you one of the best tools or skills I have ever found. In fact, it is a tool that precedes all other tools and is what makes the difference in, in having an intervention work to its full potential. See, if you are here listening to our podcast, Anxious, or you're reading our blog at thegatheringofgoodpeople.com, it is because you are looking to create change in your life. Some people need to make massive changes, and others of you are wanting to make simple improvements. Whatever the level of change you're seeking, the first thing that needs to occur is to have you disassociate or disconnect from what it is you want to change. See, if you are your feelings, then shifting your feelings will be difficult because change on that emotional level will feel like death. Therefore, if you want to make a shift in your emotions, you will need to see your emotions without being your emotions. And that's the tool we will learn about today. It's called discernment. Hi, I'm Brett, your favorite shrink, right? I'm a licensed psychotherapist and the executive director of the Gathering of Good People. We're a nonprofit dedicated to helping you grow emotionally, relationally, and spiritually. We have created this new series called Anxious to help you address the anxieties that are being created around the coronavirus. And and today, I want to talk about discernment, what I call the most powerful tool you've never heard about. Well, let me start with a a story about me. When When I graduated with my master's, I went out looking for jobs any job I could find in the field of psychology. I needed experience because I was just about to start my master's and ultimately my desire was to get a license as a therapist. Well, one of the jobs I picked up was as a school 10 counselor slash instructor. See, I I worked at a psychiatric hospital during the day and then a couple nights a week I would work as this school 10 counselor. In in California, if you get arrested for a DUI, driving under the influence, uh, you are required to attend a class on alcoholism as well as attend like 10 AA meetings. Well, the class was called School 10. That's what they call it in California. And I got a job as one of the instructors. See, Growing up, my mom was an alcoholic and a cocaine addict. And so I kind of liked 
being around addicts, and it felt somewhat familiar. And I didn't mind going to AA meetings, and being a part of the school 10 job thing was pretty easy because I had pretty much been born into addictive family. And I understood, or at least had a lot of experience living around addiction. Well, it was really interesting to me that I would send these people to these classes, to AA, to kind of fulfill their requirements. And and they would all come back reporting to me that they sucked. They didn't like the AA meetings. And oftentimes what they would share, the reason why they didn't like them was they would say things like, oh, that just that just wasn't me. I didn't fit. I didn't feel like they understood or understood my situation. That's what they all said. Every And, and what's interesting is that and even the guys, even the old guys, the guys that, that actually worked a program, did their 12 steps, attended AA meetings on a regular basis, they said the same thing when they first started going to AA meetings. Everybody does. And that's the weird part. That's the interesting part. If you go to an AA meeting, it's a room full of people who are all thinking the same thing. Namely, they don't fit in here and they're not understood. <laughs> if you have everyone in the room thinking they don't fit in and everyone feeling the same thing, then I would have to say actually the opposite. They are all the same. All of them were experiencing exactly the same resistance. All of them were were in, all of them were feeling like they weren't understood, but all of them were understood because they all felt that. But all of them were in denial, which makes sense. They're just beginning their own journey in recovery. So, so what's happening? You know, what why are all these people thinking and saying the same thing? But, but what they're all saying is, nobody gets me, nobody understands me, uh, I don't fit in, I don't belong here. Well, even as a novice in psychology, I could see what was happening was that this was their addiction thinking. Their addiction was telling these people, all of them, to keep on drinking. And going to an AA meeting or, or admitting that they were alcoholics would be the last thing they wanted to do. Because that basically mean they'd have to come out of denial and deal. <laughs> and deal with their drinking problem. See, here's the statistics. And th- this is always great for me to keep in mind, even as a school 10 counselor. The stats show that you'll drive... 200 to 2,000 times before you get pulled over for a DUI. Yet, when I would take the history of these people in our class, most of them would tell me that it was their first or second time 
<laughs> that they were drinking intoxicated. And then they got arrested. These people were lying to me and lying to themselves. All to keep drinking. If my students, they couldn't, they couldn't hear their own addictive lies. And because they couldn't hear their own addictive lies, they couldn't change. And they're never going to become sober. I could hear the addiction's twisted thinking and, and how it was keeping them stuck. But they couldn't hear it. It sounded normal to them. It sounded rational to them. And until an addict can step outside of their addiction and, and begin to discern the lies that they could never change or they could never see, nothing's going to ever be different. They're never going to go through recovery. And that's one of the big advantages of AA is that it allows us to sit around, share our stories, and learn how deceptive our thoughts have become. Hearing the lies in others helps us in our recovery because it enables us to hear the lies that live within our own heads. Now, I, I wasn't an addict. I grew up with addiction, but I wasn't an addict. So I could tell the difference between rational thoughts and addictive thoughts. But it made me wonder if I had distorted thinking patterns that I wasn't recognizing. Did I have lies that I was telling myself and that I couldn't hear? It was a super interesting thought. See, I, me, have had anxiety all my life. And, and I started to wonder, does my anxiety have a voice? Is, was my anxiety also lying to me? Well, the answer was yes. Anxiety definitely was an old friend of me. His voice, I know so well. It's not going to work. I can't. I'm not good enough. Everyone thinks I'm a failure. My self-doubts were familiar. But I had never separated those voices as that of my anxiety. Those voices, whenever I heard them, was, was my voice. It was what I was always telling myself. These were my truths. I felt them as if anxiety, I felt them with my anxiety, but my anxiety was who I was. And therefore, these doubts were who I was. They were me. So as I started to play with this idea, hmm, maybe, maybe I don't have an addiction lying to me, but maybe I have anxiety lying to me. Maybe even though I hear anxiety's voice as my own voice, maybe if I could start to hear anxiety's voice as anxiety, maybe I could start working on my own recovery. 
See, to change my anxiety started with me embracing a new idea that maybe I have anxiety, but the anxiety maybe is not who I am. Being able to separate me from fears was going to be my first step in enabling me to create change. And this, this is what I'm talking about. This is the tool, the skill of discernment. Being able to distinguish your own thoughts gives you, gives us the ability to control and then change our thoughts. See, all of us have multiple voices in our head. Some of our internal dialogue comes from our history. You know, we, we adopted it from our parents. Our parents were always telling us, you're stupid or you're ugly or you can't. And, and we've internalized that voice to become our own. But also, different parts of our brain communicates in different ways. My limbic system, my emotional brain, talks with feelings where my thinking, logical, rational brain talks with words and logic, right? Being able to hear these different thoughts and then being able to discern these different thoughts is going to be key for me, for me changing my anxiety, and for you changing your anxiety. Because I know you're the same as me. I know that you have doubts. You have negative voices. You have lots of self-hate and self-criticism. But you don't even think twice about those voices. You hear them. You embrace them. They feel normal to you. They sound like you. They, they are you. And as long as that is the truth, you can't change those voices. You can't stop those voices because the voices are you. That's who, that's you talking. How, how are you going to stop you from talking? But maybe they're not you. Maybe the negative voices in your head are real. I'm not implying that. But maybe the negative voices come from your anxiety your fears, your doubts, even your negativity. And as long as you see you as that negativity, you will always remain and be negative. But I don't want to leave you there. I want to help you change. And change is going to start with this new idea. What if that's not you? What if you have anxiety, like I have anxiety, and your anxiety is always talking to you, like my anxiety is always talking to me? But what if the anxiety isn't who you are? What if you are free? What if you are separate? What if you are different? But if you are like a soul or spirit, 
and able to step back, stand away, and observe yourself. Watch yourself. Become mindful of yourself. That's the beginning step of cognitive therapy. That's the, actually the beginning step of any kind of therapy. Being able to step back and step away and, and really hear what's going on inside. But hear it differently than you have before. Not hearing it as your voice, but hearing it as the voice of fear or anxiety, doubt. And once you can do that, once you can go, oh, that's my anxiety talking. Now you can begin to change it. Now you can begin to shift it. Because it's an it. It's not you. You have anxiety. But you are not your anxiety. And making that subtle distinction, making that discernment between who you are and the voice of your anxiety is where the healing process begins. Just the other night, my thoughts were racing. I kept looping on, on writing a post for um, our anxiety support group for the next day. I wanted to share how I have anxiety you know, in this post to try and help people connect. And the thought just kept looping. I want to share how I'm having anxiety. I want to share how I'm having anxiety. Really, really, brain, are you serious? And it would just loop. It would just keep saying it over and over and over again. I thought, how stupid. I know what I want to say. Stop thinking about it. If I see myself as my thoughts, I could become really irritated, but really kind of unable to stop myself because I couldn't stop being me. I couldn't stop being who I am. Now, think about this. What if I am not my thoughts? Then I could change my thoughts because then I could separate me from my thoughts. And that's what I had to do that night. As I had to separate me from my thoughts, just see my thoughts for what they were, this looping thought. And I finally just said, all right, all right, Leo, stop. Leo, Leo is what I call my left neocortex. That's my thinking brain. And my thinking brain loves to think. And it gets, it gets kind of looping in thoughts. And even though it's time to go to bed and I'm trying to go to sleep, my thinking brain just doesn't want to stop. It's been, it's been racing all day long. And just because I'm laying down doesn't mean much to Leo. Leo just wants to keep going. So I have to be in that moment. I have to be conscious. And I have to separate myself from my thoughts. Once I've separated myself, then I can shift my intention and my focus. And that way, 
I can change my thinking. When I separate myself from my thoughts, my feelings, and my actions, then I can make changes. My body doesn't want, here's a kind of a silly example, but, but my body doesn't want to get up in the morning and go to the gym. It just doesn't. But if I can step outside of my body, I can make a different choice. All right, get up. We're going to the gym. Now, too often, we, we don't go to the gym because we go back to listening and identifying with the body. And so when the body says that it's tired, we go to, back to our body's desire and we go back to bed. But if you can remain separate, if you can separate yourself from your body, then you can push past your body's impulses, desires. Um, going to the gym is a great example of that. Not only getting to the gym, but also working out in the gym. Because most of the time in the gym, my body is screaming out, stop, 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 stop. Can we stop now? Okay, can we stop? All right, we're done. Can we end here? I'm tired. The whole time. But, but if I can remain separate and distinct from my body and hear my body's complaints, but not let myself buy those complaints or identify with those complaints, I can push myself forward. So how do you see you? Or even more to the point, how do you see your problems? Most of us over-identify with our problems. What's that mean? That means that we see our problems as part of who we are. I am depressed. I'm anxious. And that's where we have to start to use discernment. What if you took a step back and thought a little differently? I have depression, but I am not depression. I have anxiety, but I am not my anxiety. When you identify with your patterns, your feelings, or your thoughts, they become difficult to root out, if not impossible. Just as we saw with the, the alcoholics, once they bought into their symptoms, once they bought into their alcoholic thinking, they were always going to stay alcoholics. Well, stepping out of my addictive thinking allows me to see the thinking as it is, and then I can begin to change it. I have anxiety. I see my anxiety as a problem, something that's wrong. My anxiety, and, and if I can see that anxiety as me, as I have a problem, then what happens is my anxiety becomes worse. However, when I see my anxiety as simply anxiety and not a problem with me, then I can deal with it. So here's your homework assignment I want you to consider. This week, I want you to play with me this new idea. What if 
today, I am not my anxiety. Yes, I know you have anxiety. But what if you separated out you from your anxiety? This week, I want you to consider a new idea. That you have anxious thoughts, true, but those thoughts are not you. This week, I want you to consider, what if today I am not my anxiety? Play with that idea. Share your thoughts, your experience, your truth in our comments. I want to hear what that's like for you to consider. I want to hear what it's like for you to play with. Thanks again for being here. I'm Brett, your favorite shrink. And you have been listening to Anxious. Take care.